on Scripture. Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another edition of First Thoughts, featuring me and... Me. There you go. Done. Put that one in the books. And you are? Oh, okay. You, they, you think that people want more specifics? They do. See, I think it could just be like, a, you know, when you read a, a scriptural narrative and there's an unnamed character, mm-hmm. then that that can allow the reader to imagine their way into into being that character. I don't think anyone imagines sitting at this desk and doing this podcast as you. Well, no, because we always give our names. Um, so they can't. But if we didn't, then, then maybe they could. Hmm. That's, uh, that's a thought. We will take that under consideration. Mm. In the meantime, you are. <laughs> My name is Damon Jensen Heitman, and I serve as one of the pastors at First Presbyterian Church in Hastings, Nebraska. And you? I am Greg Allen Pickett, and I serve as the other pastor of First Presbyterian Church in Hastings, Nebraska. And this is First Thoughts. It sure is. And First Thoughts, for those who may not know, is essentially we're going to do a little miniature... Bible study, Bible opening, Bible... Reflection? Pondering? I don't know what it is. We look at the scripture that we're going to use for the upcoming week, and we respond to it in some way, shape, or form. Uh, We say, oh, that's interesting, or oh, that reminds us of this other thing, or oh, I'd like to learn more about that. Um, sometimes we ask questions of the text. Sometimes we allow the text to ask questions of us. And we just sort of think, hmm, this might be where, where God is leading this week. There it is. But it also might not be. Ooh, dramatic pause. There it also is. <laughs> Um, should we do that then? Yeah, we usually open with prayer, and I think it's my turn to open us. So, uh, so let's do that. That sounds good to me. You're glancing over there like we keep a tally chart of who's, who's, uh, whose turn it is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Yep, it says right here, Greg's turn. Greg's turn, got it. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's, uh, let's join together in prayer. Gracious and loving God, thank you for this opportunity once again to gather in this way and to reflect on your holy word. Thank you for the way that you are speaking to us uh, this winter through the gospel of Mark, for the lessons we are learning and the ways we are uh, informing ourselves and, and seeking to become more faithful disciples. We thank you for all of the ways that Um, this text speaks to us and encourages us or nudges us or perhaps even pushes us when we are a bit unwilling uh, to respond and to be your faithful disciples. Bless and guide our reading of the text and our study of it. Bless and guide the preparation that goes into the worship service on Sunday, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, this Sunday we continue taking a look at the Gospel of Mark. Yes, we finished chapter 5. We did. And now we're on chapter 6. We ate the whole thing. And now it's chapter 6. And it just keeps right on rolling in that fast-paced, you know, one action after another uh, series of events that we've come to expect from the Gospel of Mark. Yeah, at the end of Gospel 5, or or chapter chapter 5, 
Was Jesus in a named location? Or was it just like when they got to the other side? They were of the on the sea? other side of the sea. So they were they were on the what would be the west side of the Sea of Galilee. Um, okay, but it's not like, it's not like he's in a, the the story. Right, doesn't say when they got to Capernaum. No, nope. this happened. Nope. Right, it's they get to Jairus. When they house. get to the other side of the sea, Jairus Jairus rocks up. Yep, uh, and with his lament, brings them to his house. Yeah. Okay. So okay, all right. So that's where we were. Which is helpful, I think, to know <laughs> when Mark 6 starts with these words. Uh, it says he, it's Jesus, I assume. Jesus left that place and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him, as disciples do. On the Sabbath, they began to teach in the synagogue, and many who, uh, on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astounded. They said, Where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? That one ends with an exclamation point and not a question mark, even though it kind of is a question. But at any rate, I just thought that was important to point out. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Then Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor except in their hometown and among their own kin and in their own house. And he could do no deed of power there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then he went about among the villages teaching. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. He said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. If any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you, as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some were saying, John the baptizer has been raised from the dead, and for this reason these powers are at work in him. But others said it is Elijah, and others said it is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. Then we flip the page over. And we get a flashback. For Herod himself had sent men who arrested John, bound him, and put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because Herod had married her. For John had been telling Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he protected him. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. But an opportunity came 
When Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his courtiers and officers and for the leaders of Galilee, when his daughter Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests, and the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it. And he solemnly swore to her, Whatever you ask me, I will, I will give you, even half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What should I ask for? She replied, The head of John the baptizer. Immediately she rushed back to the king and requested, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was deeply grieved. Yet, out of regard for his oaths and for the guests, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately the king sent a soldier of the guard with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison, brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. Then the girl gave it to her mother. Uh, when his disciples heard about it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. And that's the end of that. Hmm. Craig, what did you notice? <laughs> that's a pretty graphic scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> yeah um, I was trying to think in the other gospel narratives how much of Herod we get before we get to the uh, to the events of to the, the passion narratives right um well, it's and somebody named King Herod in Matthew and Luke who sends the wise men on to try to find what the intention, and that same King Herod is the one who kills all of the male-born children. In Matthew. In Matthew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, there, there were m- multiple King Herods, according to biblical scholars. Sure. As I recall. Yeah, that's... That's probably, yeah, yeah. I would assume, though, that the one at the start of Matthew is supposed to be the same one that shows up at the end. Right? I, or not? I don't know. You think they could be different people? I don't know. Hmm. Because this, to me, this to me is, is kind of, it's kind of serves as a preview of Jesus' death. Yeah. You know, it, it 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 ends in even a similar, like the disciples come and they take his body and they laid it in a tomb. Yeah. Um, and then later on, there's going to be this idea. Well, like, is John? Did John get raised from the dead? <laughs> right. Um, and the and in and then the gospel, the gospel of Mark, the first ending of the gospel of Mark, mm-hmm. just ends with just Jesus. Just he's not in the tomb. But we don't know where else he is. Right. Right. Um, he's just kind of on the loose. Uh, and his resurrection is as much of a rumor, I guess, mm-hmm. um, in a similar sort of a way. Uh, and I didn't, I should go and reread the ending of the Gospel of Mark. Yeah. Um, we'll get there. But. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's interesting to me that Herod is portrayed as being conflicted. 
Well, but the same this. thing happens uh, when he's on when Jesus is on trial, right? Yeah, apparently. Mm-hmm. And that's why that's the other reason why I would I should just flip to chapter sixteen. You see some parallels. There. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, he he seems to be even conflicted within himself mm-hmm. about how he even just thinks of John the Baptizer. Yeah. In verse 20, it's... uh, For Herod feared John, knowing he was a righteous man, and when he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. It's an interesting... Because the baptizer bag going around saying, you know, really, it's not okay that you have married your brother's wife. Right. Right. And so he throws him in jail for that, because you can't just have him running around saying that in the world. Um, And yet... There's something about him that right. that that he likes that is appealing. Um, I wrote off to the side. I wrote like John is Herod's guilty pleasure. On multiple levels, that's <laughs> that has uh, like a double and triple entendre there. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm not going to be able to find this quick enough to yeah to figure out what's going on. But um, yeah. So and this week is. Youth Sunday, so it's actually the youth that are going to be sharing a message. Are they are they focusing on this part of the narrative, or are they focusing on the part about Jesus being rejected in his hometown and sending his disciples out two by two? Well, they're kind of doing both. Okay, but this is where you started. Well, it's just because it, it's it's jarring. It is graphic and jarring, and I, it's not one of my favorite stories to read and reread. Yeah. No. I mean, it's it's something out of like a thriller or a horror mm-hmm. movie. Um, it's not just death in the context of war. It's like pretty intentional death and pretty graphic and brutal and and, it is. and showy uh, with the head on the platter thing. I, I, it's just, yeah. It's very human. Um, it's So they, one of the things that they youth have put together related to this portion of the passage is taking a look at these different different characters um, really in the in the whole passage but including characters from from this particular portion of it and wondering about where are they uh, where are they going to like to find the find authority for their lives if that makes some sort of sense, right? Um, and the idea is that Herod and Herodias, uh, whoever that is, or is it multiple people named There's Herodias? got to be. It seems it's his, kind of unclear. His brother Philip's wife is Herodias mm-hmm. and his daughter Herodias. Yeah, and we assume this is not the same person. That's my assumption. But it's not clear to me. Um, the... Part of where they are looking for authority is either themselves or others, right? Where they are looking to offer them direction on what choices to make in the world mm-hmm. and what choices to make and, and how to live their lives okay. is either motivated by their own instincts mm-hmm. or motivated by someone else's, right? Herodias goes out. Herodias... Whether if it's the same person, I don't know or not, 
they have a grudge against John, mm-hmm. and they they really want to act out that grudge. Mm-hmm. Um, or they go and they're listening to their mom, who says, oh, you should ask for this, right? And contrasting that with the disciples who are leaning on the authority of Jesus mm-hmm. to help determine how they live their lives right. in the world, right? Okay. Um, and so from that perspective, this is a very human... These characters are acting out of jealousy. They're acting out of naked ambition, mm-hmm. you know. And then that has devastating effects in the world. Yeah? Yeah. They do not plan to reenact this scene. I'm very glad to hear that. In any way, shape, or form. I'm very glad to hear that. Yeah. Um, No. I don't... uh, I don't try to intervene on Youth Sunday, but if you told me that they were intending to reenact this scene, I, I may intervene. (laughs) Why would they? You really don't like this story. I'm not a fan. (laughs) Uh, Mark 6, 1 through 13, I think, is very interesting as well. Um, So I was reading this, and I was like, I feel like Jesus has already been back to Nazareth once. And uh, it turns out that's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Mark 3 is the first time that Jesus returns to Nazareth after he started his earthly ministry. And he's, uh, he's rejected that time too. His family wants to shut him up because they think he's kind of gone off the deep end. And, um, and so then Jesus returns to Nazareth after another few months or something of ministry. And he's got an even bigger crowd with him. And he shows up and is once again rejected. And this, this line that prophets are not without honor except in their hometown and among their own kin and in their own house. And that line is repeated in all four Gospels in one way or another. Sure. Um, and is, is, is also a line that has made its way in, into the collective psyche, into popular culture, um, I think. Uh, and so... It's an interesting one. And you and I have yeah. talked about this before. What would it be like for me to go back and preach a prophetic sermon in, in my childhood church that raised me and how would I be received and that sort of thing? And Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even just the basic idea of, like, you can't go home again. Yeah. Um, you know, for just is a similar sort of a sentiment, I think, to this. It's interesting to me that this idea of, home keeps coming up. Mm-hmm. It comes up a lot in these stories. They're either going to someone's home or someone is leaving their home um, or they're in the hometown or Jesus tells someone to go home. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> there's, yeah, there's just, it just keeps coming up time, time and time again. And, you know, everybody... To some extent, everybody loves a hometown hero. Um, you know, the you know local kid makes good. Mm-hmm. Um, but when the hometown hero like, comes back for the parade, they generally don't spend 
their entire time saying, uh, everybody here needs to change how they're doing everything about how they're living their lives. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they don't go teach in the synagogue. <laughs> well, and if they do, they just say, well, it's so great to be back and thank you for everything that you've given me. Mm-hmm. And you set me up so well for success in the world and my success is your success. And right. aren't we all great? Right. <laughs> Not... Um, I kind of reject everything about this place. Yeah, kind of repent and uh, mm-hmm. change your ways. And yeah, yeah. The questions that that they that the crowd is asking among themselves have a very similar tone, I thought, to the questions that the various demons ask. Mm. Uh, what have you to do with us, Jesus? Right. Um, they're, they are they are forming those questions differently, but it sounds like a, a similar kind of a sentiment to me. There's also a um, sort of reminding Jesus who he is and where he came from, um, which some biblical scholars think is important. Uh, in six chapter six verse three, is not this the carpenter? So they're making a point of pointing out this is a this is a, a, a blue-collar worker, a person who works with his hands. Mm-hmm. So, is not this the carpenter, and then the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon and are not his sisters here with us? So they're, they're reminding him who he is and where he came from. Um, and a scholar that I was reading said there's some intentionality with that. They're putting him back in his place, right? He has now gathered sure. this enormous following. He's going and teaching in the synagogue. It would not normally be a carpenter that would go and teach in the synagogue. People are listening to him. They are amazed by his teachings. And so when he comes back to his hometown, they're like... And then in Luke, um, this similar scene in Luke, which may or may, may not have been the same scene. I mean, he may have looped through Nazareth multiple times, right? And those, those could have been recorded, but... Um, is this not, uh, is this not the, the Jesus from Nazareth? Um, sort of this, this is the kid from the backwater type thing. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's, there's this, there's something going on there too, which is mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. And if he was back in, he was, he was back home in chapter three. Mm-hmm. Um, he was like kind of rude, wasn't he, when he was there? So it starts right there, then he went home. When his mother and brothers came, then his mother and brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. The crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and brothers and sisters are outside asking for you. And he replied, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother, right? But back up before that, his his family was trying to shut him down. Sure. So so I guess what I'm trying to get, if this is is like a return trip home, Mm -hmm. then everybody in town saw this interaction. And they've now spent a week or a month or more talking about it over tea and coffee and everything else. 
and they've gotten themselves real riled up about it. Uh, and and now he now it comes back. Like, there's already tension. Yes. Within the community about who this person claims that they are. Yep. Um, and and they're sort of disavowing. Mm-hmm. It, it could be perceived as disavowing in some way, yeah. shape, or form. Right? So it makes if that is the case, then it makes some sense to me. Just that they would sort of be ready to go mm-hmm. with their objections. <laughs> but. And then he sends out disciples. Right. Mm-hmm. In a very particular way, right? Two by two, which is an important distinction. Uh, take nothing with you. And if you're not rejected, then shake the dust off your feet as a testimony and off they went Mm -hmm. and they were very successful. They cast out many demons, anointed many with oil who were sick and cured them. The Mm -hmm. disciples are starting to take on the core of Jesus ministry that we've read about so far in the gospel of Mark, which is healing and casting out demons. Yeah. They're starting to attempt for themselves to, 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 follow in the ways of Jesus, mm-hmm. right? And, and take on Jesus' actions as their own actions in the world. Do you think that any of them asked, because the question that always comes up is, why not take anything with you? Do you think that any of the disciples asked, uh, why shouldn't we be taking anything with us? Or do you think that they just understood? Because it's interesting to me that Jesus doesn't offer an explanation. Mm-hmm. You know, as as the people hearing the story, you're kind of just supposed to know, right? Why? And uh, yeah, and we read into that that you're relying upon the generosity of the people you're meeting in order to survive and in order to have a place to sleep and all that stuff, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But also, shaking the dust off your feet for those who don't. They accept your message you. and welcome you and offer you hospitality. Mm-hmm. So, which, yeah. Do you think if they did that, do you think the people that they were shaking the dust off for even noticed? Depends on how dramatic they were about it. <laughs> yeah. Like, who is that for? Right. Is it for the, the person who has offended you or is it for you? It's a cleansing ritual for you. Like I'm, I'm walking out of this place. I'm shaking the dust off yeah. my feet, mm-hmm. whether or not. Yeah. That's an, an interesting, uh, interesting question. Yeah. Like when they left, did they stand in the, in the town square and we're shaking off our sandals, everybody. And it's cause of you, you all made us do it. Mm-hmm. Or is it just, or is it more of a, just like a quiet, Okay, it's time to leave. Time to move on. Yep, and I'm just I'm just gonna click my heels a couple of times and then head down the road. Yeah. Interesting. I think there's also this idea that um, not carrying any of these other things with you um, helps you just to focus, to not get distracted. To be more fully present, perhaps. Um, maybe present. I mean, wasn't, it certainly could be. I wasn't necessarily thinking about it in terms of 
presence. Um, but if you don't have a coin purse, then you just there's yeah less. Then it's just easier to maybe to do the things that God is asking you to do, um, and not well. I would do that, but it's gonna cost us. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so maybe we don't want to do that. But yeah. Yeah, I would imagine that it would offer more space in a person's mind and heart to to focus on following the path, which would certainly be a presence sort of a thing. Mm-hmm. It'd also be distracting though, because you don't know where your next meal is coming from and where you're going to lay your head. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all. It is also sort of like shades of Israelite wandering. Mm-hmm. In the desert. Yeah. They took a bunch of jewelry on their way out. Right. <laughs> and it didn't satisfy them. It didn't seem. Nope. Right? But. Come. What else? Anything else? I don't know. You think it'll preach? I think it'll preach for sure. Yeah. Should we have a prayer? Let's do that. Okay. Loving and gracious God, as we come to your stories, as we return to hear your word, ask that it might be opened to us during the days ahead, that within these ideas, within these questions, within these ponderings, and within this text, we might encounter your holy truth, your holy wisdom, your word which guides us through our days. In your gracious and loving name we pray. Amen. Amen. And that's all we have to say about that. So what's going on in life the church, Damon? Well, we're going to have worship on Sunday. That sounds reasonable. Mm-hmm. Once at 8.30. Mm-hmm. And then again, but different, at 10.30. How will it be different? Uh, well, to be in a different room, okay. <laughs> for starters, it'll feature different music, uh, and it's also going to be led mostly by the senior high youth of the congregation at, at the, the 1030 30 service. Okay. Yep. And the 830 service will be the uh, contemplative style service mm-hmm. as, as usual. So. All right. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got our standard Wednesday night activities going on. Come to dinner at 5 o'clock with kids. Families are welcome. Anyone's welcome. And then our whole lineup of activities for uh, pre-K children through high school youth, uh, as well as our uh, choir and bell choir rehearsals on Wednesday night. It's all the fun stuff. It's a great place to be on Wednesday nights. It certainly is. Mm-hmm. The congregational meeting is over and done. Yes, we are done. We, until next year, unless there's the need for a called congregational meeting between now and then. But I don't anticipate that need. I guess we shall see. <laughs> right. If there is that need, we will tell you about we'll it. We'll let you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have some exciting things coming up. Um, Youth Sunday is February 4th. February 11th, we're going to have some very special music at the service. Uh we will have our chancel choir singing. 
we will have the Cathedral Brass Quintet playing, and we will have a guest organist at the bench, Dr. Stephen Hamilton, uh, will be at the organ bench for the 1030 worship service, and then we'll also be sharing an organ concert at 3 o'clock that afternoon on February 11th. That is free and open to the public. All are welcome. That is part of what we call our Langenberg Concert Series. And so we hope you can join us both for worship at 1030 as well as for the organ concert at 3 o'clock. And then the week after that, we start the season of Lent. Yeah. Ash Wednesday is the 14th of February. Happy Valentine's Day. Mm -hmm. So we will have an abbreviated Wednesday Night Live schedule that evening. And then we will have a worship service, which begins at... 7 p.m. usually. 7. And our choir will be singing for that. And Damon and I will be uh, doing the what we call the imposition of ashes um, as part of that service as well. We will impose upon those ashes. We have some palm branches to burn in anticipation of that uh, service. We use the palms from Palm Sunday the previous year, and they sit on a shelf in my office all year and dry out. And then uh, Damon and I, uh, at great risk to life and limb, uh, burn those palms Mm -hmm. into ashes, Mm -hmm. uh, which we then mix with a little bit of uh, baby oil Mm -hmm. and make a slurry. And that's what we use to impose the ashes. So now you know how the ashes are made. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, nobody's ever called the fire department. No, there was that one year where it flared up pretty quickly, mm-hmm. and you were standing relatively close to it. Well, yeah, you got to get in there, you know? Yeah, um, and that was pretty dramatic. Uh, there's a video of that out there somewhere. There is. Um, and we'll do that again this year and see uh, if we can singe the eyebrows off of Damon. Maybe Rose will do it. Oh, we could get Rose involved this year. Yeah. Make sure her hair is tied back. I think she helped last year in some way, shape, or form. Did she? Mm-hmm. We had Stephanie Hamilton help two years ago. Mm-hmm. The pastor from Grace United Methodist. Mm-hmm. And she was pretty energetic about the whole thing. She's very excited about it. Um, so yeah, we get Rose involved this year? Yeah. She did just buy some new lighters, so we know that we'll have fire. Yeah, I found one of those on Sunday morning. Mm, glad to hear it. So, so was everybody that needed it. Yep. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, anything else? I think that's all we've got for now. All right, then. Well, then, with all those things said and done, until next time, toodaloo.